This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's paths with an S. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm Jackie P. I'm John T. So today we're going to kick off another series, and we're going to, this first episode, we're going to talk about what changes uh, when people get into therapy. Yeah. Um, and and really that's kind of the whole purpose of our series, mm-hmm. right? Or that's kind of the topic of our entire series is what changes, but we're going to be looking at that through a couple of different lenses. Yeah, and... As, as per usual, most of the time when we launch a series, um, this is based on a series of conversations that we've either had with a lot of clients or that we need to start having with a lot of clients. Mm-hmm. Um, because therapy is, by its very nature, it's a disruptive process, which I think mm-hmm. is one of the first surprises right. to people. Right. That, that a lot of times people are willing to start the therapeutic process because they're very uncomfortable and because they're looking for change. Mm-hmm. But what they aren't taking into account is that change is a very messy and it's a mm-hmm. very uncomfortable process. Well, and, and people will often hear at the beginning of a change process and maybe even believe at the beginning of a change process, things need to get worse before they get better. Mm-hmm. I think often we look at the better as before they go back to normal. Mm. And for most of the people that I work with, the threshold that they cross getting into therapy is there is no going back mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Like things have changed to a degree that and, it, and that means therapy is working. Right. Right. And and sometimes that that change to a degree that we never go back, sometimes that happens before people even walk in the door. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say that usually comes along with, with work in therapy. And so that's that's again part of the readjustment um, of, of things changing or what it means for things to get better is that life is now different and you learn how to live your life mm-hmm. differently right? because it's fundamentally changed. Um, so in this episode, we're going to focus on individuals, like what, what right. generally happens for men and what generally happens for women that yeah. tend to be tough. Yeah. And we're, and we're going to talk pretty um, cisgender or stereotypical mm-hmm. male, female right now. Um, so just that that's a heads up that's kind of the discussion and we know that that's the format we're talking in that mm-hmm. is a, a lot of our caseload probably fits that pretty mm-hmm. typical mm-hmm. um not all of that and we recognize that yeah and a, a lot of the reason why we are going to take it this way too is because socialization still happens strictly along gender lines right in our society and so while these traits uh we, we understand that these traits aren't tied to sex either biological or gender expression or anything like that, these traits are more tied to socialization. And if you look like a girl, you're likely going to be socialized like a girl. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you look like a boy, you'll likely be socialized like a boy. Um, And so a lot of these difficulties that come up in recovery and in the change process have to do with our socialization rather than needing to change biologically how we work. Right. Because I think the perspective that Jackie and I share in that is generally biologically, um, fundamentally there's not something wrong with a person that needs to be fixed it's about mm-hmm. the things that happened to them mm-hmm. and the messages that came in after that thing right. happened to them a- and the um way that information has been presented from young ages right so kind mm-hmm. of the beliefs the scripts 
um, the the way that they view the world. Some of that has to be a- adapted as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the first place I'd like to start, this is something I don't remember if you were talking about it at dinner one of the nights on our dating in recovery intensive or if it was part of your presentation, but you were talking about anger mm-hmm. for women. men and women. Mm-hmm. And so, so do you remember mm-hmm. how you delineate? Yes. T- talk about that. So one of the things that I, and yes, this is kind of a simplification, but one of the things that I will often say is the healing process for women has to include their claiming their birthright to anger. Because without that, they will always be giving their power away. And so they've got to claim their birthright to anger and get angry about how things were and how they weren't and how they should have been and how they you know, were not that way. They've got to get angry about that. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to live in that anger and stay in that anger and that's the end of the road. It means they're going to actually heal that and they will mm-hmm. find their voice there. On the other hand, I think men need to as part of their healing process it takes them right into the heart of the emotions all except anger Mm -hmm. right because that's the that's typically the emotion that we give to men and men have got to claim their birthright to sadness to Mm -hmm. deep sorrow to love all of these emotions that we typically say those aren't available to you yeah yeah you know, we, I, I think for men, and I can I can speak from my experience as a man, for men, we don't provide room for them to talk about deep sadness mm-hmm. or love or excitement um, or fear. Right. And for a lot of men that I work with, um, the feeling they get when we start talking about emotions is, you're going to feminize me. Mm-hmm. Um, because even the word emotion, like, I think we have a lot of uh, feminine com- connotation that well, goes along with females that. females are emotional. Right. Right. And one of the worst things males can be is female. Right. Yeah. One of the mo- biggest insults you give to a boy is that he's a girl. Mm-hmm. Right. You're such a girl. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, anything that we've started to say females are emotional, mm-hmm. we've got to recognize that the unspoken message, which is very powerful, is if you want to be masculine men, do not be emotional. Yeah. Yeah. So, so men who come in and these really tight places in their life and come in needing some deep change. Um, of necessity, they have to be able to get emotional and in touch mm-hmm. with their emotions. And a lot of, um, and I would even say, at least my experience in graduate school is the way that we talked about emotions was from a very feminine perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was almost this supposition that women feel emotions correctly and men need to catch up. Mm. Um, and I think for the majority of men I work with, that paradigm doesn't work, mm-hmm. you know, because again, like, it's not true. <laughs> like, right. It's not like females are untouched. Um, or the but, masters on it yet. Yeah. 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 Um, so for men, it, it becomes about what are your emotions just because they're emotions, not, not whether they're right or wrong mm-hmm. or this is the right way to do it or not. It's really about men, I think, finding a functional, um, genuine way for them to experience their full range of emotion. Mm-hmm. And I'll often say to my male clients, if you're concerned about what's masculine or not, um, you know, my, my understanding is that your sex organs say that you're male. So if you do something, it's masculine mm, mm-hmm. because you're, you're a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when it comes to emotional expression for, for men, um, they really have to kind of move beyond those um, stereotypes around what it means to be emotional 
and what it means to be male and just start being an emotional person mm-hmm. because they're born that way. Like you said, it's their birthright. Right. Right. Um, what about women on that side of the coin with emotion? Um, well, I, I think number one, that whole myth that women do emotions right. I think for most of us, I mean, I, I, there's probably women out there who think, yeah, I, I guess I do then, you know? And so if I'm feeling it, I, I must be right about this because yeah. women do it right. But I think there's also a large percentage of women who are like, well, I don't think I'm doing it right, but mm-hmm. okay, I guess. Well, I, I think a lot in our society, particularly the little subset of society that we live in, I think women get put on a pedestal mm-hmm. for this, like, you're just naturally intuitive and you're naturally nurturing and like emotions make sense mm-hmm. to you. And you naturally sacrifice and put mm-hmm. everybody before you. Mm-hmm. And and those messages are so damaging because, I mean, we're literally raising females to be masterful codependents mm-hmm. is actually what we're doing there, not raising them to be healthy emotional beings. And on the surface, it seems like such a compliment and such an elevation. Mm-hmm. And really, I think it's a cage. Well, it's the it's the um, covert sexism, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes called um, benevolent sexism, mm-hmm. where, but but really, what it boils down to is objectification, yeah. right? Things that we put on pedestals are nice to look at, mm. and we display them for people to see in museums and different things like that. We don't put people do not belong on pedestals, yeah. Right. And, and because it takes away, it strips them of their ability to be human and their ability to be imperfect and to be uniquely them. Mm-hmm. And so that putting them up on a pedestal, I, I think there is a lot still for men who think that is a compliment. And, and I can't be sexist because I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. And they don't see that that's just a different way of being sexist or it's a different way of the patriarchy yeah. taking the humanity out of femaleness mm-hmm. and saying you still need to fit this mold. And and I think a lot of women that I work with have to actively work on reclaiming that humanity for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a client who uh, I, I recently did not get my appointments into our appointment scheduler mm-hmm. in time for reminders to go mm-hmm. out. So she didn't get a reminder and she's, you know, rightfully worried that she's going to miss something. And so the last few weeks she's texted me and said, can you remind me when our appointment is? And every time I see her in person, she apologizes profusely for bothering mm, me mm-hmm. with this question. Um, and I see that a lot with uh, with my female clients is this extreme apology stance for mm-hmm. needing something, for wanting mm-hmm. something, for having a question, for having a feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of some of my exciting moments in the room with female clients are when they start to get angry. Mm-hmm. And often when they know that they're feeling it or they notice me noticing, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean to get angry. There's in Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, she shares a story where she was speaking. I don't remember to who or where she was speaking, but she was speaking on, um, it might just have been to Facebook employees and stuff, but she was speaking on gender um, inequality in the workplace. And after she was done, she said she was back at her desk and this woman approached her and said, you know, I really learned something from you today. And, you know, she was kind of like, oh, I inspired her. I whatever she says. And the woman just said, you know, she asked the woman, what's that? And she said, I guess I better keep my hand up. And Cheryl was like, what does that mean? And she said, well, you you know, you did your presentation and then you said, I'm going to take question and answers, which you did. 
And she said, and then you said, okay, I'm only taking two more questions. And you took two more questions. And then all the women put their hands down. Hmm. And the men kept their hands up. And they... We don't do that. <laughs> they required totally her that. to answer their questions. And she kept doing it. Uh-huh. So she kept answering their questions. And she was saying, for somebody who's speaking on gender inequality, and then you didn't even see it when it was happening. Mm-hmm. And nobody said to the men, you We're didn't done. hear us. Like, yeah. I said, I'm done. And, and instead, you just kept answering their question. And so why are men going to keep their hands down? Mm-hmm. when they can continue to keep it up and make you comply with what they mm-hmm. want. And, you know, that's always, whenever I hear that story, I've read the book twice now, whenever I hear that story, it, it makes me frustrated because it's so many layers to that story, right? Mm-hmm. And basically, I, I think one of the points she was making is, yes, we there are things that we need to do um, in our society to make things more equitable. However, in the meantime, women better keep their hands up. Yeah. Um, especially when they're noticing that. Like if, if the men and women hand goes down or the speaker says, no, I'm done, then put your hand down. So, so for me, this conversation is starting to shift into like noticing how men and women are trained to do it differently. Mm-hmm. And I think the one of the fundamental aspects of recovery for me is that um, we start to experience ourselves in a more functional light or we need mm-hmm. to. And so I'm looking at what often comes across the plate for men in recovery is an acknowledgement of the power that they have Mm -hmm. and they wield and that they haven't known about. Mm -hmm. And which can, if they're open to this and I see this with men all the time, it starts to lead them right into their sorrow, Mm -hmm. right? If they won't block it. Uh Well, and initially I think there's a lot of guilt um, with that because I'm, I'm one too. Like I've happily wielded my male privilege without knowing that that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And I've, as I was happily wielding that privilege, I hurt people Mm -hmm. who didn't have that privilege. Right. And so that's a big shift, I think, for a lot of um, men in recovery is is to realize that much of the pain that you have caused in the past and that you will continue to cause in the future as you're working on becoming more aware has to do with something that you didn't even ask for. Right. Has to do with something that maybe if you could choose you may not choose the way that this power comes to you and the mm-hmm. way that you wield it. But that training is so subtle and mm-hmm. so insidious. I think a lot of men take it on without mm-hmm. thinking twice. Well, and we did, this was several years ago. We did um, one of our uh, relationship nights. We did, it was kind of around privilege and the focus was on privilege and several of the men, but also women. Cause I think women, you know, they swim in the same water and they get the same rhetoric. And so anyway, but probably more men that evening got uh, upset yeah, about like the it. video and about what we were talking about. And and several of those men were my clients. I mm-hmm. worked with them individually. And as we continued to talk about that in our individual sessions, and, and I could understand where they're coming from. And I think there's still a lot of men who feel like I'm not privileged, like I'm not wealthy. I didn't come from wealth. And many of them have a very sad trauma story. Mm-hmm. And so I can see how they don't feel like they were privileged because they've been dealing with trauma from young ages. Yeah. But as we continued to do the work and they continued to dig in and and work on what was coming up and to connect that back, what happened is there was a shift. Mm -hmm. Right. And, And each in their own time brought that up and brought back. Remember how I was here? Mm hmm. I'm not there anymore. And I... 
I don't think I can ever go back there. Like, I just see things so differently now. And I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, many of them were saying I I can be compassionate way more Mm -hmm. than I ever knew that I could be Mm -hmm. with themselves as well as with other people. Well, and, and I think that there can be a suspicion on the part of people who show up to do the work that that shift happens because of some agenda that their therapist has. Right. And I think mm-hmm. there is a lot that people get in their recovery that does come from their therapist mm-hmm. agenda. I also think that legitimate recovery will bring you to that point where you are looking right. at power. Yes. And so on the female side of the coin, I think that there's often this reconciliation that needs to happen around their level of passivity. Mm-hmm. And stereotypically speaking, it's going to be more that woman needing to claim her voice more. Um, But that's not to say that there's not going to be women who come to therapy and they're looking at this. There's something wrong with me because I always get this look like, what a bitch. Mm. Or I always get this feeling like you're too much. Mm -hmm. And some of that reconciling is not, you know, moving it to the other end of the spectrum. Some of that reconciling is claiming it. Right. Um, Like... And, and kind of that, if setting boundaries to you means I'm mm-hmm. a bitch, I, okay. Then I'll be a bitch to you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I think that's something that on both ends of those uh, extremes, um, I think women are trained to be really uncomfortable. Well, I wouldn't say on the passive end of the extreme, we train women to be really comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. But on the assertive, I know what I want. I speak up. I speak up. We train women to be very, very uncomfortable with that. And particularly, you know, we work a lot with sex addiction or even just post-infidelity where there may not be a sex addiction. And oftentimes, not, not in all instances, and we have kind of a growing and strong women addiction group and, and people Mm -hmm. that we work with here. However, I think oftentimes, you know, the partner is the female and she's coming in and she's got to grieve um, this part that she played in not having a partner. Mm-hmm. Right. And a lot of times she's feeling this. I don't have a partner because of the addiction and I don't have a partner because, you know, I roll men and all of these things that they may think. And there always comes a point if they'll stay in therapy in which they say, I'm not a partner. Yeah. And being a partner requires me to speak up and mm-hmm. and know what I want and mm-hmm. then be able to express what I want and to be assertive when it's appropriate and set boundaries. And, and they're very uncomfortable doing that, mm-hmm. right? And so while they're complaining about not having a partner, which may be legitimate. Yeah. There's also work to be done because if he's available to be a partner, finally, that doesn't mean they're going to step into that role and Mm -hmm. have no problem. Mm -hmm. It's going to create a lot of anxiety for them, too. I think it kind of goes back to that myth around relational and emotional mastery that women are supposedly Mm -hmm. just born with. Right. We just we are just so relational. (laughs) It just it just happens. (laughs) Nothing to it. Nothing to it. Um. You know, with with men, another narrative that I see needing to shift that's really difficult for them is narratives around abuse and vulnerability. Mm. Um, and I'll see this, like in our, our couple of interviews with Kelly McDaniel, this came up around mm-hmm. the mother hunger thing, that we will see some women who will not accept that they're vulnerable and they'll have a really difficult time with that. Um, but I think men in general, especially when there has been abuse, it's really hard for them to put the abuse label on it. Right. Um, well, and, and society has a hard time putting the abuse label on yes. them. Yes, yeah. Um, and, and this goes back into boyhood, right? This isn't just 
men who are abused, adult men who are abused that we have a hard time recognizing, but this goes into from the time they're very young and Mm -hmm. boys, either a, we think it doesn't happen to boys Mm -hmm. because boys are always the one, um, doing it. Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, if, if it's a female offender who is older than him, we think of that as lucky or Mm -hmm. kind of some type of sexual initiation Mm -hmm. and, and we don't call it abuse. We minimize it. Right. Mm -hmm. And we still see the male as pursuing. Mm -hmm. And, and in abuse, it's not about pursuit. It's not about what you put out there. It's not about some initiation. It's about an imbalance of power. Mm -hmm. Um, and about, coercive activity Uh Um, and so I think a lot of men run into a really big piece of discomfort to be able to say I was abused I was a victim Uh I didn't want that I didn't like that that's not what I would have chosen right Um, and that often butts right up against those messages about what it means to be a man Uh you're always in control women are the vulnerable ones and our job is to protect Uh them um and, and I see a lot of my male clients really struggle with coming to grips that the world is not completely safe for them. Because mm-hmm. as men, I, I, there are so many areas of my life that I live as if the world was completely safe for me. Mm. Um, and I think there's a lot of places where it is much safer for me than women or minorities or things like that. But there are also areas of my life where I've gotten into big trouble because I just assumed that I was this indestructible Mm -hmm. male. Mm -hmm. Well, it also makes me think about, I know um, you had shared this. I think you've shared it on the podcast too, but you had shared this, I think in a staff meeting. Um, And I since have had male clients kind of reiterate the same thing that your client had, which is when men start to really look at and take ownership over their sexuality um, it's not a blanket statement that mm-hmm. men will have sex with whoever, whenever, mm-hmm. whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and for men to start to look at and say, but what do I need sexually? Mm-hmm. Or what do I want? What do I not want? Um, again, there's some discomfort getting into that yeah. place for them because that's not how they've been socialized. And in that regard, I think also talking from the female perspective, because I've had female partners who have had interaction with their spouse who they're constantly just kind of batting him away sexually and then all of a sudden when he really starts to recognize um what his sexuality is and what it isn't and really let it be authentic she's like wait why don't you want me every Mm -hmm. minute of every day like and and starting to recognize how much she was dependent on that Mm -hmm. to feed her and make her feel good mm-hmm. even though she was rolling her eyes and complaining to maybe mm-hmm. girlfriends or her therapist for sure about how often she was having to bat him away mm-hmm. it was like doesn't he love me mm-hmm. a- and it's like well yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> but what is this constant need to be desired sexually mm-hmm. really about in the relationship well and, and I think that um, a lot of women can run into this uh difficult point when they recognize that they are sexual too and mm-hmm. they do desire so mm-hmm. there was part of that cat and mouse game mm-hmm. that really did something for them right even though you know on the surface we're rolling eyes and he's such an animal and all of that that's that's a point where i see things really getting changed for women is needing to own their desire and an opportunity mm-hmm. to do that mm-hmm. and to acknowledge maybe for one of the first times in their life that they are a sexual mm-hmm. person 
There's also um, uh, there's a YouTube video by Dan Savage, who's out of Seattle, and we showed this at our dating intensive. And we were talking about, and and we didn't even have time to to go here um, with this breakout part. But one of the things that I always note when um, I watch this, so Dan Savage is uh, a gay man and in a committed relationship with a boyfriend. And he talks about kind of the the relational aspects. I mean, aspects. I mean that that's kind of what this uh, YouTube clip is about. Is about him kind of talking about relationships and how. Our relationships can require us and, and make us into better people. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this part of that where he's giving the example and saying, you know, it drives me crazy that um, my boyfriend will make himself a sandwich and he leaves everything out. And he says, and you know, I harp on it and I get after him and I get annoyed and I let him know how annoyed I am. And he said, and then one day I decided why don't you put it away, right? And he makes some comment about this time where he says, and unlike heterosexual couples... This heterosexual thing that never works out for you. We aren't up against thousands of years of female oppression. Uh So me putting away his sandwich, the mayo, the mustard, all of it, doesn't have the same connotation Mm -hmm. in a heterosexual relationship where Mm -hmm. that feels like... um, just because of the, you know, centuries of female oppression, you expecting your wife to put away your food and clean up after you feels like sexism. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't when two men are together. Yeah. And it probably doesn't when two females are together. Yeah. Right? Because that's a different issue. Mm-hmm. And that, that brings me to one of the... Um, points I wanted to talk about with women and you talk about this a lot that you've got to drop nice Mm -hmm. and um, I think that's another piece of that socialization and part of that like I'll follow my man around in heterosexual couples Mm -hmm. and I'll clean up after him because that's that's the nice thing to do right and until all of a sudden niceness erupts into rage yeah and everybody's like whoa where did that come from women are so unpredictable right uh-huh. and and instead we've got to get rid of niceness and we start to have to get honest mm-hmm. which is part of stepping into partnership and mm-hmm. saying when you do this i feel this you, you've also in the past i've heard you talk about moving from niceness into kindness mm-hmm. and how part of kindness is honesty right right and it, and is, it doesn't always feel good kindness right. doesn't always feel good right but in, in kindness we're not giving people a false impression right. of ourselves and how we feel yeah um, we're not the sponge for all things dirty and emotionally mm-hmm. taxing. And I just take it all and then put a smile on my face, right? That's niceness. Mm-hmm. But that's not kind. And mm-hmm. and ultimately, being dishonest about that is not kind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think for women, too, we, we tie that niceness to their appearance, which we make all important for mm-hmm. women. Um, mm-hmm. Like Rachel, who we work with, she grew up in the South, and I... Heard this when I lived in the South, and I'm sure you did too. Mm-hmm. A little girl who's throwing a tantrum, a parent would say, "Come on now, don't be ugly." Right. Um, and so there's a lot of that. Like it's not just about it's good if you can be nice. It's this is integral to who mm-hmm. you are as a woman. And if you want people to like you, mm-hmm. you have to do this. Mm-hmm. And there is research that bears that out. Right, that women who are more successful tend to be liked less. Yeah. Again, not fair. Yeah. Um, and there's 
work to be done around that. Definitely. But And that's not only men who see it that way. Women see it that way. Women are much more likely to view successful women differently mm-hmm. than than they do, you know, women who maybe stay at home or do their traditional mom roles. Yeah, yeah. I've actually, um, I'm kind of surprised where this discussion went today. Yeah? Yeah, I, um, I was excited about the topic, but I really enjoyed talking about this yeah. with you. So I think, you know, we're, we're for sure going to do one then about how therapy and getting into recovery is going to impact relationships, because mm-hmm. that's a big piece, what too. What changes there? And... And, you know, we, we've we had some discussions in our staff meeting just about maybe we can kind of give a heads up to people because it usually mm-hmm. catches them off guard. And it's pretty upsetting mm-hmm. when things that you don't feel like are related to the problem start to yeah. change. And there's a possibility that people will drop out of therapy at that point, yeah. right? Or or they blame that we see this. I, I particularly see this. <laughs> um, they blame the therapist, right? Uh-huh. Like Jackie's got some feminist agenda that mm-hmm. she's pushing. Um but my male clients don't say that. Interesting. <laughs> funny, funny. It's the it's the husbands of my female partners that tend to to say that. But um, and and so can we just have these discussions more upfront and yeah. ahead of time so that people are informed and when it happens, we're much more likely to talk about it. Yeah, that this this is a known byproduct of the therapy process. This is not right. accidental. This is not off the plan. Like this right. is going to happen. Yeah. So we want to remind you at the end of another episode that your story matters. Remember that there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story until it's finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths, Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I'm learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.